0: Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, where we can look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hochberg, and this is episode number 517. I just got back from my very first Canada and New England cruise aboard Serenade of the Seas and wanted to share my thoughts on what it's like to sail on this amazing itinerary. Here we go. So we sailed on a seven-night Royal Caribbean cruise to Canada and New England, sailing out of Boston, and I was really not sure what to expect but I came home really excited about the cruise. I loved every minute of it because I've always wanted to try this itinerary and it really impressed me with how just amazing this place was. As someone who grew up in New England, I wasn't sure if it would be lost on me to some extent because, you know, I've been there, done that. Granted, I've been living in Florida for a while now, but, you know, I'm probably more used to a New England atmosphere, certainly, and I think I still consider myself a New Englander in many respects. Regardless of that, we had a great time going on this cruise. This seven-night cruise went out of Boston, and my first time ever cruising out of Boston. And for this cruise, I flew up actually two days early to get some extra time in Boston. I thought, well, certainly I'll walk around and explore a lot. Of course, it didn't account for the fact that it would be rainy our entire time in Boston. I did manage to eat some amazing food. You know, Boston is very well known for its Italian cuisine, and it did not disappoint. I stayed at actually two different hotels. Long story, but the hotel prices were crazy. So the first night, I stayed at a hotel near the seaport. The second night I stayed at a hotel at the airport at Boston Logan For whatever it's worth. I don't know that either is better or worse than the other one. Regardless of that, you're still taking a taxi no matter what to get to the cruise port. But I do encourage you, if you possibly can, explore Boston. The Freedom Trail is a great spot. There's lots of history in Boston. So you want to explore it and of course eat a lot. There's some great food around there as well. So for the embarkation process, I was really worried. Because I had heard some real horror stories about Boston lately. I remember last year, actually, one of our travel partners, uh, Becky Menken from MEI Travel, pointed out a video. She actually was there. And there was this huge line that went on forever. And it just seemed like it would be a real disaster, quite frankly. And I was really worried about it. But the good news was, it was nothing like that at all. In fact, it was smoother in Boston than some of the ports in Florida. Just have had everything set up from the start, and it was clear where to go and what to do for every step. So it was really easy, just like almost any other port you've ever been to, if you've cruised before. So no problems at all. So that means, of course, that yes, the title for worst embarkation port experience still rests with the port of Los Angeles, sorry, L.A. For this cruise, I booked a junior suite because at the time I thought it would be just me and my wife. We knew the kids were not coming because they're in school but I thought it'd be a nice cabin to enjoy a little extra space. Unfortunately, she could not join me for this cruise, so I ended up in the junior suite as a solo cruiser, and the extra living space made the cabin feel, like, gigantic, compared to, obviously, a balcony cabin I'm more used to in that case. But the nice thing about the junior suite was it wasn't too much more. I ended up paying $1,200 more than a balcony cabin. Now, I know some of you are like, what? That's crazy. I get it. It's more money. I could have spent that money on drink packages, shore excursions, etc., but I thought it was a reasonable price for a splurge. I stayed in cabin 1044 on deck 10, and it had 293 square feet of space, along with 41 square foot balcony. There was not only more walking space, but a full sofa and a blue chair and ottoman that I used every day as my office. I love that blue chair and ottoman. I know some people would point out that almost any cabin, when you don't have to share, it feels big, but I was surprised by just how big a junior suite felt with me just there. It really was palatial and... I don't even, can't even imagine staying in a sweep by myself that I really would do that. But for a junior suite, there was a lot of extra space and it really did come in handy. For this cruise, we had four port stops. We were going to Sydney, Nova Scotia, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Bar Harbor, Maine, and Portland, Maine. Departing Boston was super easy. It was a little rainy, but that was totally fine. You know, Serenade of the Seas being a smaller ship, there was still plenty going on. And I want to talk about Serenade because a lot of people have some qualms about going on a smaller cruise ship. Serenade of the Seas has just under 3,000 passengers as its capacity, but being a Radiance class ship, I absolutely love it. If you listen to my other reviews I've done here on the podcast talking about sister ship Brilliance of the Seas, then you know that I really do love this class, and Serenade was fantastic. It was actually our second time on Serenade. I went on Serenade last year when I went to Alaska, and I really did enjoy the ship back then, and I still do now. The nice thing about Serenade, especially when you're in a port intensive itinerary like this, is that there's less demand for you to be able to find like activities and things keep you occupied. If you have a lot of sea days, that could be a different issue. But for me, especially without any kids on board, it was totally fine. I ate primarily the main dining room on the cruise. I did go to Giovanni's one night of the cruise and I ended up in the Windjammer on a couple nights because we had some long days in port and I just couldn't turn it around fast enough to make the main dining room. I had early seating, 515, and in some ports, the all aboard time was the exact same time. And I enjoyed my time so much on shore That I would just get back to the ship and be exhausted and just couldn't make it back to make the main dining room. I was probably in the dining room about three or four nights of the cruise. The other times I mixed it between, again, the Windjammer and one night in Giovanni's. I got to say, though, the main dining room was fantastic. Service was great. Food was fantastic as well. Really enjoyed that. And the Windjammer, I love the Windjammer. The cooking stations are what it's all about. The Asian stir-fry cooking station is now my absolute favorite thing in the Windjammer. I might change plans to go there. It's just so good. I don't know. Maybe I was just really hungry that day, but it was fantastic. Not my first time ever having it, but this cruise just reminded me, yeah, I remember this and this is really good. For the other cuisines, you know, when we were in the main dining room, I felt that the Indian food has always been amazing and still continues to do that. Reminder that if you do love Indian food, there's, it's very lightly written there, but whatever Indian dish they have, like, like say it's a meat dish, like chicken, they also have a vegetarian option. So you could have two Indian dishes per night on any given night of the, of the cruise. For our port stops, our first one was Sydney, Nova Scotia. Sydney is a smaller town. And the first thing I did actually, believe it or not, I got off the ship super early. So we docked at like seven. I got off the ship at like 730 or so, eight o'clock and walked to the nearest Tim Hortons to get coffee and Tim bits. This may sound crazy, but when I was in Alaska last year, or actually I was in Vancouver last year to go to Alaska, we did a lot of Tim Hortons. It was my first time there and I love their coffee. So I actually went off the ship. Got coffee, came back on the ship, and then did it a short session later. I know it's crazy, but I just really wanted a good coffee. I gotta admit, especially I love Royal Caribbean, I don't love their coffee. I find their regular coffee bitter for my taste personally, and I really love a good iced coffee. And I find that with Royal Caribbean, their ice melts way too quickly. So you end up with just watery coffee. Now, certainly I could get at Cafe Promenade, or in this case, Cafe Latitudes on Serenade, and go get an iced coffee over there and with my diamond drinks. That's totally fine. Uh, I just, it's just not the same thing for me. I don't know. There's something about getting coffee at example, Tim Hortons here, that works out. And of course, there's no Starbucks on Serenade of the Seas. Anyway, for our actual shore excursion, we had actually a pub tour. Royal Caribbean offers a pub tour in Sydney. It brought us to three different places. The first was a cidery in which they explained how they make cider locally there. And then we had three different cider samples of which there were different types, like how dry they were or not. I don't love ciders, but I don't hate them either. I just, to me, it's just like champagne, basically. So anyway, I tried those, and those were fine. But then our next two stops were two different bars, and basically what they did was they would escort you between each of the bars. It was a walking tour, no buses involved, and it was a very easy walk. And along the way, the tour guide would narrate and give you some history of Sydney and Nova Scotia in general. Now, the next two bars we went to were, you know, your pretty typical, well, hubs, the first one had a lot of beers, and I was happy to see that. And the nice thing was of all the variety, as long as you were there. And each stop was about, I would say 30 to 45 minutes. They would give you time to drink whatever you wanted. And if you wanted to get a second, as long as you were within that time frame, they would give you that. The last stop was an Irish bar and that was also a welcome change. Also there was food at this one. By this point we were hungry and I needed it. I still got some of the suds that we had had there. It was a great little tour. Do you need to do the tour? No, absolutely not. Because these pubs were very easy to walk to. You dock right in Sydney, very easy to walk around. The advantage of doing the tour is twofold. One. You get the Cidery Tour, which I don't know if you can do that on your own anyway. And number two, you get a little bit of history with it too. In general, when you book a Royal Caribbean Shore Excursion, and if you're debating, well, why should I book basically a glorified bus tour, if you will, compared to doing it on your own, is really that you're going to get that history. that somebody is going to be there that's going to explain things to you. Now, granted, you can get that on your own with a third party tour, but I wanted to make that very, very clear. For the rest of the day, we just enjoyed actually more drinking, and I just walked around, so today, enjoyed the town. Next up was Halifax, Nova Scotia. In which, yes, we did go to Tim Hortons yet again. Halifax is a city, whereas Sydney was really a small town. And being in a city, there were a lot more things you could do. Halifax is a very walkable city, and that's exactly what I did. I walked off the ship, walked to first to get Tim Hortons to get coffee, and then we had the whole day ahead of us. Now, the, I'd say there's two major things people do in Halifax. First is Peggy's Cove, and the second is actually the Atlantic Maritime Museum. Both of which I have no interest in. I know it's crazy, but I'm going to tell you why I think this way. First of all, let's talk about Peggy's Cove. It may sound crazy, but you really should skip Peggy's Cove in Nova Scotia. Now, I'm sure some people will take umbrage with this tip, but the problem with Peggy's Cove is it gets overrun with tourists, and it'll take you about an hour to get there from Halifax. It's an hour there, you maybe get 45 minutes, maybe less of time at Peggy's Cove, and then an hour back. So it's really more of a scenic stop than a destination. Now, in terms of why the Maritime Museum does not interest me. It is really cool. Like, there's a lot of history there, and I love history. I just don't care about the Titanic. There is this weird obsession with the Titanic in modern culture, probably because, first of all, the movie, but also this has been going on for, like, over 100 years. And I think, first of all, the reason why Titanic is so universally known and obsessed over is because it came at a time in which there was very little news. Pre-19, gosh, 1990, but... You know, back in the day, 100 years ago, right? What, what Think little things that happened would become big deals because you didn't have TV and radio and a ton of other avenues for media. There was like one thing. So when something happened like this, it was a big deal. It's like the Hindenburg, right? We don't talk about the Hindenburg today, but when we talk about air travel, because granted it wasn't an airplane, I get that, but go with me on this. That was a big deal, a big calamity, and Titanic was. I think it's been overblown, overthought of, over obsessed about, I don't care. So, for that reason, I did not go to the museum. But, some people do. And the nice thing about about Halifax is, there's actually a hop-on, hop-off bus, which will take you to these places, including the Maritime Museum. Ultimately, we just kind of walked around the city and kind of took it easy and just wanted to see what was available. There's great restaurants, great shopping, and we just kind of walked around and wandered around the city, which was very easy to do. Our next port stop was Bar Harbor. And guys, I fell in love. With Bar Harbor, within 15 minutes of being in Bar Harbor, I texted my wife that I wanted to move there. She said, "Enjoy your time there, but we're not moving there." Jk, lol, not happening. But I don't know. I really loved Bar Harbor between the small town feel and the fact that it backed up against Acadia National Park. I just loved it there. Now, admittedly, I thought I was on some kind of secret there about like, "Ooh, this is like a no one knows about Bar Harbor." Until I realized and learned that like all the Gilded Age millionaires. All bought places, there like 100 years ago, so this is far from a secret. But nonetheless, you know what they say, good taste never goes out of style. For this one, we booked a tour through Royal Caribbean that would take us through Cadillac Mountain and Acadia National Park. This is a bus tour with a couple stops along the way. Now, first of all, I didn't realize Acadia National Park is like 1.5 miles away from Bar Harbor. You know, usually it's like, oh, you're on the bus for a while. Now we were right there. I was like, okay, this is great. And it's your typical bus tour of a park. They take you through, it's narrated the entire time we had the most stereotypical bus tour guide. He was very nice, don't get me wrong. Number one, he referred to himself as the Timmer, as opposed to, like, just Tim, which kind of tells a lot about his style. Uh, you know, and he just makes bad jokes and explains a lot of history, don't get me wrong, but I was rolling my eyes at a lot of it there. Nonetheless, we did make some stops along the way, and there were just enough about you got about 10 to 20 minutes per stop along the way. Enough to take a photo, look around, enjoy being outdoors, then back on board. The problem with this had tour is, well, if you want more time, you don't have it. In other places, you might be like, well, this is like, you know, i just need 30 seconds out here. But it was nice, and it was a concise tour. Along the way, we also stopped for lunch. They take us out of the park to a lobster bake, in which they actually offered Maine lobster there, which was kind of impressive that you actually got the whole thing. They braided the whole lobster. You cracked it and did all those things yourself. I don't need lobster. So they had steak as an alternative option, and I enjoyed that. It was just a nice, you know, break there along the way. And then it was back into the park with the, I guess, the climax being going up to the top of Cadillac Mountain and getting the views up there. It was a nice tour. I enjoyed it. I've never been to Acadia. If I were to go back again, I would probably do something on my own. I'm not sure if rental cars are a thing there. They didn't have electric vehicles you could rent. I saw at the port, but I don't know if those could, like, make the journey up into the park. Anyway, I would love more time to explore Acadia on my own. But it was a great first taste of Acadia National Park. After that, we came back into town. We had about two or three hours left before we had to get all aboard. And I got to tell you, I like I said, I love Bar Harbor. I could have spent way more time there. It's a really quaint New England town, small streets, lots of dining, lots of shopping. It kind of like Skagway in a way, um, but with more New England than Alaska feel. Anyway, I, I I really enjoyed it quite a bit. It was it was a great day in Bar Harbor. Our final port was in Portland, Maine. And unbeknownst to me, about a day before I realized that the weather was going to be absolutely fantastic, I actually got up to like 75 degrees and sunny in Portland, which is unheard of for the end of October. So I made a last-minute change. I was like, all right, we had no plans originally, but I wanted to take advantage of the great weather. So how could I really do that, right? What was my plan for, you know, getting to be able to enjoy more time there? And I decided to actually see if there was a boat tour available. So I Googled around, and when you're trying to book a shore excursion at the last minute, less than 24 hours, you know, very limited options. But I found availability with Boomerang Yacht Charters, and they have kind of a converted trawler that takes you out into Portland Harbor. It was a three-hour tour, you know, three-hour tour. And we were able to bring up 20 people, although we brought about 15 or so, and that was plenty. I think 20 would be too many people for that size of a vessel. But took us around the harbor, We went to different lighthouses, we got to see some of the islands within Portland, and it was just perfect weather for it, I really loved our time there, it was also, they had some snacks, some drinks to enjoy, so it was a beautiful day on the water, great way to start it out, back into town, I don't know why, we just had a hankering for German beer, it's like, I think it was because of the casino, there's a German slot machine, and we kind of started playing that a lot, and anyway, long story short, we just wanted to have some German beers, found a great restaurant called Novare Rest Beer Cafe, I did not pronounce that right, but anyway, this is a great spot. They really had German beers and German food. I ate sauerkraut and pretzels. Pretzels owned beer. Oh, it was so good. And then after that, uh, some people in my group wanted to go get like lobsters and stuff. So we went to a place called Porthole Restaurant, which is right on the water. It was very popular. Enjoyed our time over there. And then it was back on board the ship. The porch really impressed me. I think I like Maine more than I thought I would. You know, going into the cruise, if I were to tell you about it, in fact, I'm pretty sure on the last episode where I previewed this cruise, I talked about the fact that I was really very much looking forward to probably our Canada stops more than Maine, but it turned out I was completely wrong about Maine. Nova Scotia was beautiful and I enjoyed it, but I really found in myself liking Maine a lot more. In both cases of Bar Harbor and Portland, it just it was so cool because we docked right or right next to it anyway. In Bar Harbor, it was a tender Portland we actually docked. We were right downtown. And Bar Harbor's quaint town feel along with Acadia, really impressed me. And as I mentioned earlier, I really fell in love with it all. Portland being a city, meant there was a ton of stuff in a small area. And I loved that as well. And then there was the beautiful lighthouses that we saw. And when we were on our water tour, I, if I could do it all over again, I would plan out more of my time in Maine in order to maximize it all. But overall it was a great cruise. I mean, a really fun experience, a good way to kind of, you know, take advantage of what's offered there. And, um, I just really enjoyed being able to get out there. We had fabulous weather, so that really helped a lot. Other than Boston, it never rained, which was great. And it was warm or warmer probably than it should have been for the season. Um, but you know, that that's just luck. I will say this, I would absolutely do this itinerary again and given the choice, and in fact, I hope we get to do it again sooner than later because I just love my time there. Time to answer your world listener emails, our first email is from Ed, hi Matt, my wife and I just got back from a 7 day October cruise out of Bayonne, figured I'd give you a perspective of what the ship was like from an older disabled traveler's perspective. As I mentioned before, my wife is pretty much confined to a manual wheelchair that I put her in. A little bit frustratingly, Oasis was not as accessible as an experience as Ovation was back in June. For one thing, we upgraded our experience from an accessible ocean view on Ovation of the seas to an accessible balcony on Oasis, and found that the room was actually quite a bit smaller than the accessible ocean view. Second of all, it did not include the button on the wall that when you press it to open up, keeps the door open so that we can get in and out with the cabin easier. So, this led to more struggles getting my wife's chair in and out of our cabin. Also, the way that the access to the balcony was set up in our room was difficult at best to actually maneuver my wife's wheelchair out to the balcony, and we were not able to actually get out there, so we had very little use of the balcony. It was set up as two very steep metal ramps on either side of the sliding glass door. Finally, the location that these cabins are located on Oasis is pretty much halfway between the front and rear elevator banks, leading to a longer and more difficult passage through frequently cramped hallways for those in wheelchairs or scooters. The common areas of the ship were perfectly accessible, but I have major reservations about trying an accessible cabin, a balcony cabin rather, on an Oasis-class ship ever again. I don't know if maybe some of these problems have been rectified on later Oasis-class ships or not, but these ended up somewhat affecting our enjoyment of the cruise and other disabled guests like us might want to consider a different epic cabin based on our difficult. And thank you for sharing this insight with us. You know, it's interesting because as you're reading this, I'm like, well, Oasis is older than Ovation, so I can kind of see that. But I thought the same thing as you, you know, in terms of, um, you know, that uh, perhaps some of the newer Oasis class ships might have a better, uh. uh approach, if you will, to accessibility on there, but thank you for sharing your experience with that. Next email is from Stacy. Hi, Matt. Love your weekly Q&A. What are your thoughts on bringing traveler checks on your cruise? My next cruise is eight days on the Symphony of the Seas to the Southern Caribbean in April of 2024, taking the teen grandkids. I'll be honest, are traveler checks still a thing? I remember that as a kid as being a thing. I would say, I don't even know if they'll take them, Stacy. I don't know... I don't know why you would take them quite frankly. I mean, traveler's checks came out in an era before credit cards were really popular. And don't forget, if you lose your traveler's checks, you're kind of, you know, out of luck. If you lose a credit card, that's fine. If someone steals your credit card, that's fine. Like, you know, your credit card company's got your back. So I would say this either use a credit card. Don't bring a traveler's check because I'm just not even sure whether or not they're accepted. More importantly, use a credit card. And if you're really like, well, Matt, I really want to use, you know, cash, but I want something safer than cash. Don't forget, Royal Caribbean just updated their gift cards. I never used to recommend them at all, but now they're actually good. That might be a better alternative overall, Stacey. Our next email is from Brady. Right? Hi Matt, I'm 25 years old and from Toronto. I'm going on Odyssey of the Seas for a 15-night transatlantic. I'm an experienced cruiser and typically get the drink package, but for some reason, it's still over $100 in Canadian a day, even though it's a transatlantic. Given my age and who I'm going with, my buddy Yuki, of course, I want to get it a bit after the initial five stops in the early part of the voyage. Can I book the drink package on board for the sea days remaining after these days without paying for all 15 days? The answer is, yeah, as long as you've got at least like three or four days left in the cruise, yeah, that should be totally fine. So I think you're good with that little plan there. Next up, we have an email from Morgan. Uh, Hi, Matt. In January, we are cruising out of Galveston on Harmony of the Sea. It'll be our first time cruising out of Galveston. We're flying into Houston Hobby in the morning before. My question is, what is the best way for us to get to Galveston, spend the day from Houston airport? Should we taxi over or rent a car or what? Or would be better to stay in Houston until the morning of the sailing, then go over to Galveston. There's 12 of us going, and I'd like to have all my ducks in a row. We haven't gotten a room yet just trying to figure out what we need to do before I try and find hotel rooms. Thanks so much for what you do. I'm a long time listener and really enjoy your podcast. Keep up the good work. Thank you Morgan for the email. By far the most optimal situation is you land in Houston drive immediately to Galveston, in Galveston Island, and then on the morning of your cruise, go to the cruise port. The reason why I say that is because, well, number one, there's more, well, there's things to do in Houston, don't get me wrong, but there's more or more interesting things to do, per se, potentially, in Galveston, and number two, traffic, because there will be traffic in Houston, uh, and that's the reason why you might run into some problems with getting through there and being on time and all of that. The uh, problem with saying Galveston is the hotels are going to cost you probably a lot more in Galveston than they would in Houston. So if the price of the hotel isn't too bad, then I would say in Galveston, here's how to get to the port. By far Uber or Lyft are the best ways. There are car services, but when I went there in November of last year, I took Lyft and I had no problems at all there. That's what I would do if I were you. And our last email this week comes to us from Justin. Hi, Matt. Why do you think Royal Green gets rid of so many beloved food items on board? It almost seems at times like it's something if something is popular, Royal Caribbean purposely eliminates it or makes it difficult to find. Some examples I would give are the current sandwich selection at Cafe Promenade daily ham and cheese on croissant, replaced with three cheese and iceberg lettuce on a rock hard brioche. The sourdough rolls disappearing from the Windjammer and main dining room, honey stung chicken going away, chocolate chip cookies disappearing from Cafe Promenade, ice cream no longer available to Windjammer, nor bag of chips at Park Cafe. It just seems like while most other leisure businesses double down and give people what they, what they want, rail seems to eliminate or ration something when it gets too popular instead. Thanks to the email, Justin. I would say, first of all, there is still ice cream in the Windjammer. I've seen it. It was just there and on Serenade, they had it. So that's not an issue. And I believe the bag of chips issue is resolved at Park FA. I don't know. I really never cared that I didn't get Pringles over there. They weren't very good. I just don't care. But that actually speaks to a big part of this, Justin, is that number one, Food is very subjective, right? Some of the things you mentioned there, some people say, "Oh, I love those things." Other people might say, "Well, I hated those things." So, you know, it's, it's subjective. And number two, if I could put my Royal Caribbean hat on, I think what they would say is, "Our product is always evolving, and things change. It's not going to be, or it's not meant to be, static. Meaning, the experience you had ten years ago, twenty years ago, thirty years ago should not be the same experience today. And it's always evolving, always changing." Now, you might say, "Well, they're they're cutting back, and these things are." You know, it's not as good. You know, that's a debatable, subjective question. I, I can't answer that one. I can just simply tell you that it's always been evolving, it's always been changing. And before they had, you know, bag of chips at Park Cafe or chocolate chip cookies or the honey sung chicken, they had something else before that, right? And they'll have things after that. And while I do miss the honey sung chicken, I found other things I enjoy the windjammer, quite frankly. So it's an, it's an evolution, is what I'm trying to say. Now, Do you agree with what World Caribbean says in that regard? I don't know. And by the way, I'm putting words in their mouth. I really don't know if that's what World Caribbean would say. I think that's what they would say. But having observed the cruise industry, as long as I have, there definitely is truth in that there's an evolution of things. Things progress over time things go, things come, some things stay the same, but you know, it's part of the process there. And I think I would say this, Justin, on the one hand, I have no doubt that there is a little bit of a cutback going on, right? We've seen cutbacks across the way, whether it's housekeeping going to once a day, whether it is, uh, certainly some items being reduced in quality. Uh, you, we can see that, right? What is more subjective is more of the, what are the replacing with? Is it good, better, different, what have you. That's up to you on that. I've certainly found that there's still things I enjoy, um, you know, it's just part of the evolution of cruising, and I find that the interesting thing is I find an opportunity maybe to discover new items rather than staying with some of the things I've always come to look for. So, you know, it's a really tough question to answer because number one, I don't have the answer for it. Number two, I think there's a large part of subjectivity to it, and number three, it is the nature of where they are. I mean, I I'm not denying that there are cutbacks happening at Royal Caribbean. We've seen that. The issue here is you know the core experience, which I think is still intact. And the fact that, okay, if you don't have honey stuffed chicken, you can find something else that you truly enjoy in the Windjammer. And I've generally found that. I've never left any meal hungry by any means. Um, it's just been it it is what it is kind of situation there. Um and in terms of what you say other leisure businesses double down and give people what they want, I disagree with you on that one. Like number one, have you been on an airline recently? They're definitely not doing that. In terms of, you know, land resorts, a little bit different because land resorts have a different kind of level of competition to them. And also sourcing is a lot easier on a land resort than it is on a cruise ship. We don't need to go into the business side of that, but I'm just pointing that out. That's not quite one-to-one, but things have improved in other ways. Starlink has been really a revolution. I was on Serenade, best internet I've ever had. More to the point, it, the internet on Serenade was like the internet at home. For the first time I had a cruise in which it felt like that level of connectivity and stability and reliability was there. So that's a huge win for cruisers right there. And that's say the same. And by the way, the price has not gone up on the internet package, right? The addition of new things to do a perfect day, Coco Key, old Coco Key, you can, you know, wax poetically about old Coco Key. There was like one beach there and that was it, right? Maybe two, whatever. Point was, there wasn't a whole lot going on. Now we have more beaches, more pools. There are extra cost experiences, don't get me wrong. But there's still a lot of things that are fundamentally free. And I would estimate 75% of the island is complimentary. And the food is better at Coco Key now than it was before at old Coco Key. If you don't believe me, go to Labadee and see what that food is like. And then go to Coco Key and tell me the difference. It's night and day difference. So, you know, for what it is, Justin, I'm not sure I'm going to make you feel any better about it. I would just simply say there has always been and always will be an evolution of things. It's not a static product. It never was intended to be a static product. You know, we we start cruising. We get used to what is the norm at the time and things evolve and change and You know, for what it's worth, I just appreciate that they're trying new things, and whether or not they're for the better or worse, that's debatable, but that's how I look at it. So, thank you for the email, Justin. Thank you for everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Of course, if you want to send me your emails, you can always do so by sending them to matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt. We'll talk again real soon.